Deep dive into the world of science with Nature Plus. From the vastness of the distant star systems to the intricacies of infectious diseases due to climate change, we've got you covered. Enjoy access to over 55 cutting-edge journals, breaking scientific news, and over a 1,000 new articles every month. Whether you're a seasoned researcher or just curious, Nature Plus simplifies complex studies. Plus, it's all available right at your fingertips on nature.com. Nature Plus, the key to unlocking the world's most significant scientific advances. Subscribe today at go.nature.com slash plus. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast was originally published in 2014. This is the Nature Pastcast, each month raiding Nature's archive and looking at key moments in science. And in January 1896, the invisible became visible. Nature, January 23rd, 1896, page 274. On a New Kind of Rays, by W.C. Röntgen. One of the fascinating things about X-rays was not only that they themselves were invisible and they, they hadn't been perceived before, but that they revealed things that couldn't be seen. In kind of the, the popular telling of the discovery, he put his hand between uh, the vacuum discharge tube and this particular type of photographic plate and saw the outline of the bones on his hand. My name is Philip Ball and I'm a science writer and I'm the author of a, a forthcoming book called Invisible, looking at the social and cultural history of invisibility. It's been said, I think rightly, of the whole era of modern science and particularly of modern physics, uh, which we can say began around the middle of the 19th century, that what characterises it is that it became increasingly interested in things you couldn't see. At that time, around that time, there seemed to be a, a complete proliferation of invisible rays. They were given names like N-rays and black light. And for a time, these excited a comparable amount of scientific interest to X-rays until those two in particular were found to, to just be a figment of the experimenter's imagination. X-rays were preceded by the notion of so-called cathode rays, which were thought then to be a kind of a ray that emanated from a, um, a hot electrode, so a charged piece of metal, basically. And it was found that um, these rays came off and that they could be affected by magnetic fields and they could be focused by magnetic fields or deflected by them. So a lot of people were investigating cathode rays. It was really one of the hot subjects of, of this time. And Röntgen was one of them. Um, and it was through his investigations of cathode rays that he discovered X-rays. Mm -hmm. 
My name is Melinda Baldwin. I'm a historian of science at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So Röntgen was a, uh, Wilhelm Konrad Röntgen was a German physicist, pretty far along into his scientific career, already highly respected, um, full professor at uh, Würzburg, I believe, at the time. And one night he was uh, experimenting with something called a vacuum discharge tube, which was um, a pretty common piece of equipment. A lot of people had been using it in physics for a number of years. And the physics community already knew that um, the tube emitted something called a cathode ray. One. The tube is surrounded by a fairly close-fitting shield of black paper. It is but Rodkin one night noticed that um, if he put his hand between the tube and a sheet coated with something called barium platinocyanide, I think I've got that right, um, he could see the outline of the bones in his hand. Two, it is seen, therefore, that some agent is capable of penetrating black cardboard, which is quite opaque to ultraviolet light, sunlight or arc light. It is therefore of interest to investigate how far other bodies can be penetrated by the same agent. So Rontgen's paper uh, reads a little bit like a laundry list of uh, all of the things that he tried upon discovering x-rays. Paper is very transparent. Printer's ink offers no marked resistance. The fluorescence shows behind two packs of cards. A single thickness of tinfoil hardly casts a shadow on the screen. A piece of sheet aluminium, 15 millimeters thick, still allowed the x-rays, as I will call the rays for the sake of brevity, to pass. I think a lot of this is aimed at answering questions about whether these are just cathode rays. So he tests out all of these things and he says, okay, so it's different from cathode rays in this way. It's similar to them in this way, but then when I tried this, uh, the x-rays behaved completely differently from cathode rays. If the hand be held before the fluorescent screen, the shadow shows the bones darkly, with only faint outlines of the surrounding tissues. I have also a shadow of a wire wound around a bobbin. When Röntgen reports a lot of these things he did that seem to us now almost tedious or almost obvious, um, a lot of what he's trying to do is establish that this, this is in fact a new type of ray. So the, the medical applications were um, clear almost immediately. If the first thing you've done is taken a photograph of the bones in a hand, you know, any doctor would think, well, if I want to know if a bone is broken, I can, I can use this x-ray machine. And one of the really remarkable things about x-rays, I think, is how simple the apparatus ultimately was. One of the, uh, the obvious be medical benefits of x-rays, given that it could clearly photograph objects that were hidden inside the body, hard, dense objects like bones, is that it could also show you foreign objects that were lodged there. So it was used to, to, to look for them. And, you know, during the First World War, this was fantastically useful. You could see bits of shrapnel um, and, you know, bullets and so on that were lodged inside people. And so this was, this was very definitely a medical benefit. But, you know, that in itself, the fact that there were these positive aspects, medical aspects of X-rays, only seemed to lend credence to the idea that X-rays generally were a good thing for the body. People certainly had no idea in the early days that X-rays were dangerous. In fact, quite the opposite. They thought X-rays had miraculous healing properties. Just about any new rays that were discovered around that time were given this kind of magical um, property. So when uh, radioactivity was discovered, which itself was an offshoot of research on X-rays, it was discovered um, just a year later, 
And this, that uh, they were, radioactivity was also thought to have healing properties. People thought that the radioactive element, radium, would be some sort of miraculous cure. And um, and the, the same was true with x-rays. Uh, it's very clear that you know, several people suffered a great deal because of it. In fact, Thomas Edison's assistant who helped him with his x-ray experiments had to have his arm amputated because he was so badly um, you know, damaged by, uh, by the work he did on x-rays. Eine neue Art von Strahlen von Dr. Wilhelm Konrad Röntgen Vorläufige Mitteilung Nature was uh, the first to publish the English translation of Röntgen's paper. Um, immediately, contributors start writing into Nature to share theories on the nature of the rays. January 23, 1896. Letters to the Editor. On Röntgen's Rays from Arthur Schuster. Professor Röntgen's remarkable discovery will materially affect our views concerning the relation between the ether and matter. Just about every scientist, certainly every physicist, believed that um, electromagnetic radiation like light and like radio waves and X-rays were all that they had to be carried by some medium, just as you know, water waves are carried by water and sound waves are carried by vibrations in air. There has to be something, people thought, some sort of fluid that carries these electromagnetic waves. So that's what the ether was, was believed to be. It has been known for a long time that besides the transverse vibrations, which account for the phenomena of light, it is possible that longitudinal vibrations should exist in the ether, and, according to the view of some physicists, must exist. Should not the new rays be ascribed to longitudinal waves in the ether? The ideas about the ether go back a very, very long way. The idea that there's some kind of pervasive medium throughout the universe um, goes back certainly to the Middle Ages, where it was felt that it was a kind of a life force that animated the whole universe. Essentially suffused everything around us. So it wasn't something that we could touch. It wasn't something that we could taste. Um, it wasn't even something that you could really detect. Even in the late 19th century, there were mystical ideas attached to it. And some scientists, people like William Crookes, who was for a time the president of the Royal Society, he believed that the ether could be a bridge between the visible and the invisible or spiritual worlds, that somehow the ether could, for example, carry messages from invisible beings, perhaps from, from spirits of the dead, to the human world. So, you know, the ether, it, it, it had this strictly scientific role of carrying electromagnetic radiation, but it also retained a kind of a, uh, a, a mystical role as well. It was really Einstein's 1905 work. Um, Einstein's theory of special relativity, which showed that actually you, uh, you didn't need the ether at all to explain the behavior of light. There's a great line in his paper where he says, and you'll see from, you'll see from what I described, that the ether is completely unnecessary. 
which would have been just a really shocking phrase, I think, to a lot of the phys- a lot of physicists at the time. So people often say that was when the ether died. Actually, most scientists continue to believe it for long after that. It was just too deeply ingrained. Extra, extra, read all about it. Extra, extra, read all about it. Rontgen's discovery, even before uh, the the translated paper appeared in Nature, um, it hit the popular press quite quickly. They went down very well. The 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 news got out very very quickly, and uh, and they were. I, I think it would be fair to say they were something of a sensation, not just in science, but with the general public, perhaps even more so with the general public. So very very quickly, within a year or so of X rays discovery. There were there were public shows people could go to to see their own bones. Uh, people were setting up X-ray generating machines, cathode ray tubes, basically to generate X-rays that would then be registered on big phosphorescent screens. And you could go there and put your hand in front and see your own bones, see your own skeleton. And people flocked to these shows. There, one was set up in in Germany in Berlin. Another was set up by Thomas Edison um, in America, who was always alert to any new commercial prospect from science. On the one hand, X-rays seem to be something very mysterious and they seem to be revealing a you know, hidden dimension of existence almost. But, but I think what perhaps appealed to the public imagination more was something, I suppose you'd have to say something much more vulgar, um, that, that, you know, in particular, the fact that because they could see through things, um, there was, you know, right from the beginning, there was this old idea of X-ray specs of being able to see through clothing. And in fact, a year after Röntgen reported X-rays, there was at least one company in Britain that was advertising X-ray proof underwear for women. You know, there were sort of satirical poems written at the time of, uh, of how these, these X-rays were actually quite naughty things. Nowadays, I hear they'll gaze through a cloak and gown and even stays. Those naughty, naughty Röntgen rays. There was this kind of ribald humour about it, but that went along with a slight sort of public unease that somehow X-rays were going to allow us to pry into things and into places where we shouldn't really be looking. I think there are there are parallels to be drawn with the ideas of dark energy and dark matter today. I mean, these are both um, ideas that are very well motivated theoretically or observationally. So, you know, there are reasons to invoke them. But we don't actually know that there is this stuff called dark energy or even actually this stuff called dark matter. We just know that it seems to have that, that there are gravitational effects that we can't account for in another way. And it seems that what we do when uh, what scientists do when faced with a mystery like that is that you create something invisible to bridge that gap of not knowing. I think this is a perfectly respectable thing to do. It just allows you to think about the problem without, you know, just having to throw up your hands and say, we don't know what's going on. But it doesn't. But but sometimes we then get to take it literally. And I think 
if we look back and see how people thought about the ether and what functions it served then and that it turned out to be a completely fictitious substance, um, then, you know, that perhaps should give us a little pause for thought in being too literal about these what are really kind of metaphors of dark matter and dark energy that may turn out to be just manifestations of something else altogether. listening to the Nature Pastcast, produced by me, Kerry Smith, with contributions from writer Philip Ball and historian Melinda Baldwin. The music was Variations on a Theme by Handel, composed by Johannes Brahms in 1861, and one of Röntgen's favourites. Next month, the human family tree gains a new branch, causing a flap in the night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. 1920s.